podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Hills podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Brianna. I'm Amanda. And hello. Welcome to episode 28. Oh, that's how old I'm turning today. Oh, creepy. You totally planned this. I did not. I don't know why we're doing wedding music. That's not wedding music. That's happy birthday. Oh, I was. I don't know where the hell I That was right. I have the dog jingling too. So, what can I say? I'm just. It's been a long day. In case you guys were wondering, for those of you listening, it's my birthday. It's my birthday today. So. We're we're celebrating. Anyways, yeah, so my 28th birthday t- today, we're doing episode 28. How very fitting. I know, right? So how are you guys? I'm good. I'm going to bring the mic a little closer because apparently it's not picking me up. I'm good. Um, I have some exciting news to share with y'all. So for our sort of summer vacation... Jack and I are going to Isla Mujeres, and if y'all know Spanish at all, that means the Island of Women, and it's right off the coast of Cancun, and it's, like, gorgeous. Yeah, the waters be crystal clear, and I'm so excited. It will be That is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. I'm jealous. Yeah. Hey, you know, if you pay for the plane ticket, you can come. You can come with. I don't have money. <laughs> you can extend your birthday. Um, I would love to. Well, Amanda, do you have any updates? I don't think so. Everything's. I think everything's going good. So far, so good. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. She's alive. I think that's what matters. Yeah. Oh, husband, him good, too. He's good. Him, husband, him good. Good. husband good <laughs> husband good <laughs> okay well so we're just gonna talk about me now it's my day anyway so i'm just kidding Go um, but i was really excited so cody's not a good gift giver he never has been and bless him i love him but he's learned through the years just to take me where i want to go and i will buy it like or i'll choose it and so that's what he did and you ready to see where we went today and i'm super excited Barnes and Noble. I love Barnes and Noble. I haven't been to one in forever because, I mean, there's Books a Million, but Books a Million isn't Barnes and Noble. Okay, Mm -hmm. that look that Brie gave me of, like, why are you excited to go to Barnes and Noble? I understand, though. I understand. So, because it's my birthday, and I decided I had no limit. Is it your birthday? It's my birthday, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) So, I got me not one. But two cute little bookmarks. Love them. Those are cute. Uh, one says inspire, one says believe. But I also got... Oh, wait for it. Wait for it. I got four books. So the first one. Serial Killers. The Method, uh, the method and Madness of Monsters. Oh, Super that's good and, good and thick, too. Yeah, it's a thick one. And it's got pictures. It has pictures! <laughs> that's my Serial- kind of book right there pictures yeah if they popped out oh my god even better i know um the next one serial killers and psychopaths true life cases that shocked the world this one also has pictures who is that on the front no idea 
Okay. You will let me know when you know. When I get to it in the book, I'll let you know. Okay. Okay. Um, You know that Bryce already claims it, though. Yeah. (laughs) I claim everything. I call dibs. I haven't been claiming anything that's not already, like, that's not already on the list, you know? I've been trying to do this. Yeah, this week I called birthday dibs. I was so mad that she claimed Gypsy Rose Blanchard. I wanted to do it so bad. Sorry. And that you claimed Anna Delvey. Yeah. I legit was going to, like, I remember I was going to say that right before you. Right before you said it. Well, sorry. Uh, Another one that I claimed, Elizabeth Smart. And I bought a book. This is her book. So I'm excited for that one. Have you heard about the Elizabeth Smart case, Brie? Nope. Oh, my God. It's Oh, God. a damn tragedy. Like, I don't know how else to say it. It's horrible. Okay. The last one that I'm super excited for. Not that I'm not super excited for all of them, but this one I'm, like, extra excited for. D.B. Cooper! Do you know so who D.B. Cooper is? Me? Oh my, yeah. yeah. <gasps> it sounds Brie. really familiar. Oh, my no. gosh. It's a, okay. Oh, my God. It's such a good one. You've probably heard of it. Yeah, that's what I said. I've definitely heard the name before. I just... No. Such a good, oh my god, this is it's an unsolved one. Yeah, I'm so excited for this one. I've already got dibs on this one too, by the way, but it's already been dibsed for a while, so that's what I got. That's my birthday present to add to my thousands of books that I already have that I haven't read, so <clears throat> there we go. And even better, we went out to dinner, and we got ice cream. Well, we got gelata. I already ate it, but it was delicious. You already ate a lot of it. <laughs> she ate a lot of gelata. Ate a lot of gelata. <laughs> so, anyways, that's that's my update. That's my day. I'm in a great mood. So, anyways, <laughs> awesome. You want to ruin it and tell us a horrendous tragedy? Yeah, because okay. this is, this was an awful case that I researched. Wonderful <clears throat> question yeah. mark. Well, it's a little bit longer, so buckle in for about eleven pages. And unless you guys have any other updates, I'm just going to jump in. So, so this is the story of the butcher baker. Have you guys heard of the butcher baker or Robert Hansen? I've heard of Robert Hansen. I haven't. Okay. But I'm um, really digging the butcher baker. I'm yeah. liking this. You're not going to, but that's okay. Hell yeah. Okay. So, I'm just going to do a shout out to the Case Files podcast. I listened to their podcast and they did such a phenomenal job. Like, they did this in two episodes, but they are giving a lot more detail about a lot more victims than I'm going to go into. Um, so they did wonderful. If you want all those details after you listen to us, of course, go into that case files and find that episode. It was wonderful. He also has a wonderful accent. I love case file. He does. Yes. His mm-hmm. Australian accent. I almost said British Australian. Yes. He's wonderful. <laughs> I don't know where. I'm... It's fine. Okay, so, it's your birthday. It's fine. So, spoiler alert, Robert Hansen is the butcher baker, and he's a piece of garbage. So, in case you were is wondering. why he's labeled in here garbage, also garbage? That would be why he's labeled that way, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she is referring it. to our drive, and I didn't want to put his name on there, so I named him garbage. <clears throat> so, he is a serial killer who operated between the years of 1971 and 1983. So his early life, he was born Robert Christian Hansen, born on February 15th, 1939. He was born in Esterville, Iowa. His mother was American. His father was Danish. His father owned a bakery where Hansen actually worked. 
He had a rough relationship with his father. It didn't go into details on any of the sources as to why that was, but they didn't really get along. His family, family had moved out to California for a little bit of time, but they eventually returned to Iowa and they settled in Pocahontas, Iowa. Uh, growing up, Hansen was a very shy young man. He had a stutter. Um, he also had severe acne that left him scarred. Um, he was bullied in his youth. And due to his stutter and his acne, he didn't really do too well with the ladies, especially the attractive ladies that he was like, mm, want some of that. They were like, mm, no, thank you. So because of this, he grew to really hate women and girls. He would actually fantasize about cruel revenge against them in his downtime. Revenge for what? Not liking him. Okay, that seemed unnecessary, but... I agree, it does. Maybe that's why they don't like you. Maybe, I don't know, but... I bet he approached a girl at the gym. Probably. Mm -hmm. So in his adolescence, he began practicing hunting and archery. In 1957, at the age of 18, he enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserve, and he served for one year before being discharged. Hansen would later work as an assistant drill instructor at a police academy in Iowa. In 1960, he marries his first wife, who I could not for the life of me find her name. So he marries his first wife, and, and that's in 1960. On December 7th of 1960, Hansen is arrested for burning down a Pocahontas County Board of Education school bus garage. He's a police officer at this time? No. So he doesn't have a job. He's jobless. Well, I'm assuming at this time he's either uh, the assistant drill instructor or he's a baker. He does go on to be a baker. Well, shit. Used, like, what did the school buses do to you? Um, it's likely because in his mind, like, that he was getting some sort of revenge on, like, the school system because they kind of screwed him over because he was so bullied and blah, 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 blah. Um. For anyone that is being bullied in school, that blah, 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 blah for, is not for you. It's for this piece of garbage that we're talking about. So don't, yeah. don't read into that. Um, but he serves a total of 22 months in prison out of a 23-year sentence for this crime. Uh, so, yeah, back up. Back go uh, what? Say again? What? He serves 22 months in prison for a 23-year sentence. Is it because he's like a former police officer or something and no. so he just got off easy? I mean, he was sentenced to 23 years. I'm assuming model prisoners for this but type not, of charge. Can, not that. It's arson. I mean, he spent almost two years in prison. Like, it's not like it was 22 days. So he spent significant time there compared to what others might have. Okay. It's also his okay. first offense. And while he was in prison, he was diagnosed with manic depression and periodic schizophrenic episodes let's think about it it's almost halfway it's not even close to halfway no not at all anyways while he was in prison he was diagnosed with manic depression and periodic schizophrenic oh, sorry manic depression with periodic schizophrenic episodes and the psychiatric <clears throat> psychiatrist the psychiatrist why does that sound weird to me psychiatric psychiatrist psychiatrist is what i'm trying to say Whoa. i have it spelled really weird here. the psychiatrist the, the psychiatrist i like, I like that i like first way better psychiatrist yeah yeah the psychiatric psychiatrist psychiatrist the, psych the psychiatrist who diagnosed him stated that hansen had an infantile personality who was obsessed with uh with getting revenge on the people hansen had felt had wronged him so he felt the school systems wronged him so he burned down their bus garage 
fair trade, honestly. I mean, it's a bus garage. It could have been worse, right? I mean, it gets worse, but... Yeah, it could have been a preschool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It, it could have been, like, anything. But it was, it was a bus garage. No one was hurt. Everyone's fine. Now, while he was in prison the first time for that 22 months, his first wife files for divorce. Go, girl, go. And... You go, Glen Coco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Following his release, he would be jailed on and off for petty theft numerous times. In 1963, he remarries. And in 1967, he moves to Anchorage, Alaska with his second wife. And they go on to have two children in Alaska. In Anchorage, he was well-liked by his neighbor. Neighbors. Neighbors. Wow, that was a really aggressive way to say neighbors. I thought you said neighbor, and I was like, oh, Christ <laughs> would be terrified. I would not get along. <laughs> I will not get along with my neighbor. Okay, get it right. We are not being neighborly. <laughs> I think I did say that, and that's why I aggressively said neighbor. It's just a neighbor, guys. It's just a neighbor. <laughs> Uh, um, anyway, so he was well-liked by his neighbors. He goes on to set several different hunting records. He goes on to take flying lessons. He purchase a, purchases a private plane. He has an outdoor or a reputation as an outdoorsman and hunter. Um, and he opens up his own baker, uh, bakery. Not his own baker. He is the baker of the bakery. <laughs> Sorry. Now, in 1971, he's arrested for the attempted kidnapping of a young woman from her apartment complex. She's often referred to as a housewife in the reports, but I couldn't find her actual name. So I, I don't know her name. But he followed her home just days prior to the incident, and he just kind of continued to watch her. Uh, one morning after she had taken a friend to work and returned home, Hansen approaches her and holds her at gunpoint. He attempts to force her into his car. He told her that he was taking her somewhere so they could be alone. And the woman screamed, and he tried to silence her. Her screams did alert her roommates who looked out the window and saw her being held at gunpoint and they called the police. Fortunately for this woman, police must have been relatively close because they could hear the sirens approaching and that scared Hansen away. He didn't want to be captured, freaked him out, so he took off. They do, however, capture Hansen later, later that morning and she does positively identify him to police and he is charged with assault and Assault with a deadly weapon. He claims to have no recollection of the events. Later in a bail hearing, his defense team, they're able to successfully depict Hansen as a hardworking family man. And he was re released on a $2,000 bail. Was he a hardworking family man if his wife just divorced him? No, he's remarried now. Oh. I didn't, Same question, I didn't... though. Yeah. Where's the I proof? Mean, he has his own bakery. He has his own dad's bakery. <laughs> no, 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 because his dad's bakery was in Iowa. He has his own in Alaska. Fair enough. All right. Fine. I'll so, allow not it. fair enough. I, I don't allow it. Sorry. <clears throat> so he's released. Uh, that was, from what I could tell, was in November of 71. Later in 1971. So there's not much later. We're looking at December of 1971. He's loose and up to no good still. On Sunday, December 19th, 1971, a young woman was at a cafe waiting for her order. Uh, she's outside, like, trying to warm up her car or something like that while she's waiting for her order. She goes in to pick it up, but she is blocked by Robert Hansen. 
He forces her into his vehicle at gunpoint. He drives her south uh, while, he, while her hands and feet are bound. And he drives for about 100 miles. And throughout this drive, he would, he would assault her. And he goes on to rape her. And just completely fucked up situation here. So she's freaking out. And she, I mean, she's just kind of going with it at this point. Because what other choice does she have? And he begins the drive back to Anchorage after he has his way. But he's kind of a dickhead and he decides to flip a U-turn. So they're not driving back to Anchorage where he abducted her from. And he's driving further away. And he tells her that there's a cabin he had taken a woman to a week prior. And that's where they were headed. Is the woman still there? I don't know. I doubt it. So he tells her of a cabin he had taken a woman to a week prior. And that's where they were headed. And so he's driving, 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 but due to heavy snowfall, he was unable to get to that cabin. Uh, It just blocked the road. There was too much. They were not able to continue. Hanson again begins driving back to Anchorage, but this lady can just tell. He is agitated. He's upset. And she's like, he is eyeing that cliff. He's going to kill me. And Hanson, he slams on the brakes and forces her out of the car and tells her to start running. She refuses and she tells him she's not going to run no matter what. And she ends up begging for her life. She's just, please don't kill me. She makes promises that she would not go to the police. She's offering all sorts of information as insurance that she wouldn't. She gives him her name, her address, her kid's name, her parents' address, anything she can think of just to be like, you know where we live now. Like, I'm not going to go to police. Like, I I can't. And first of all, the fact that you think he's going to remember without writing it down. Not... Not gonna happen. He didn't remember. Sorry. I was gonna say, shit, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, let alone four addresses, a few names, and shit else. Exactly. You had Um, addresses for breakfast? What did I have? I said, (laughs) I said, I can't remember what I had for breakfast, let alone addresses, people's names. Okay, I heard that wrong. There's commas. <laughs> Somebody's making a lot of noise on my end, so. Mm, I got you. But yeah, I know I did have addresses for breakfast. They were pretty good. Amanda, I'm yeah. supposed to be talking, okay? You can't tell me I'm making too much noise. It's your birthday, oh. so I'll let it slide. <laughs> Anyways. You like so... it's your birthday. Okay, sorry. Um... <laughs> And just like that, he takes her back to Anchorage and drops her off about a block from where he had abducted her. So Megan worked out real well for her. Um, She was able to convince him that she wasn't going to go to police. And she does keep her word and does not report it to police. But just days later, the body of a young girl was found in the woods. Uh, Her body was found nearly naked. She had been sexually assaulted. She had a slash on her chest where a knife was used to cut open her bra. She had died from hypothermia. And the lady that had promised she wouldn't go to police hears about this. And she's just like, this is the same person that, that abducted me. This, is the, this has got to be the same person. And she has a moment where she's like, oh, my God, I'm, I need to go to police because he's going to continue doing this. Like, I wasn't his last and this isn't his last. And so... She decides that she's finally going to go to police. Now, just to be clear, 
this murder that uh, from the girl that was murdered that died of hypothermia. There is no evidence to support that Robert Hansen killed her. This is just the second lady's belief based off of her experience. And that's kind of the point of telling you the story is that this is what made her realize she needed to go to police. So she does. She goes to police and she identifies Robert Hansen as the man that had kidnapped and raped her. Now, keep in mind, he committed this a second attack while he was on bail for the first attempted kidnapping. Not looking too great. What a dumbass. <laughs> you would think, but the story still, goes on. Right now, I'm still mad at him because you said she died of hypothermia. So I'm, I'm waiting and I'm listening, but I'm pissed. Yeah, that literally means that he left her out in the fucking cold. It's I mean, December it's Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, exactly. It's fucking freezing. I'm guessing, like, I don't know. At le- I, I don't know how much snow Alaska gets. I'm guessing it's way up there, like at least a foot of snow if it's not, you know, currently snowing. Yeah. Like if she, of died snow. of, if she died of hypothermia, he left her there to die. That's what I'm gathering from that. Yeah, Again, exactly. There's nothing to support that he killed her. So, but, but maybe I have something else I'll mention later on that supports he possibly killed her. So possibly that means most definitely. No, that means possibly. So anyways, let's get to where somebody takes out the garbage. That's we're only on page three of 11. So it's going to be a minute. Son of a biscuit. (laughs) All right. It just gets worse. I'm sorry. So she goes to police. She identifies Robert Hansen. He enters into a plea bargain where he pleads no contest to the attempted kidnapping of the first victim where he ran off. He didn't actually kidnap her. And all charges for his second victim were dropped. Now, the prosecution felt there was not enough evidence to convict him for the actual kidnapping and rape. They're just It was hearsay at this point. He said this, she said this. So there was no evidence to support it, and they didn't feel like they could get a conviction off of it. In the sentencing remarks, the judge told him, quote, I believe you have a serious illness that makes you extremely dangerous. And then the same judge goes on to sentence him to just five years in prison and added that he recommended work release as soon as possible so he could pursue his career and support his family. Okay, 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 okay. So okay. he, he, he just gets five years. That's it. End of story. Then as, as soon as he gets out, he should get a <laughs> work release so he can just go back supporting his family. Do whatever the work fuck he wants to do. Work release happens when you're incarcerated. So you get released like, early. Mm-hmm. Which is like so, what I'm most angry about. He did get released early. He served uh, three to six months in jail and was released on work release. I can see Amanda's blood boiling. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know the law. Okay. So I don't know. I know that judges, you know, they typically have to stick around the same sentence for each kind of crime. Okay. I get that. And I don't know about that. So five years, I don't know how much he's technically supposed to get in this situation. Um, but you can't just turn around. You can't say like, oh, you're dangerous. Probably going to remain dangerous. And then be like, I think you should only do this long. And y'all really, he deserves to be let out early and work release. Pardon? Yeah. So the fact that he only served, some sources said three months, some said six months. So somewhere between three and six months is how much time he served for attempted kidnapping um, at gunpoint. 
I guess it was, he wasn't charged with attempted kidnapping. He was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. So that just don't even get me started on that too, because I don't feel like I don't understand why attempted murder or attempted kidnapping. I don't understand why your plot not working gets you less time in prison. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like we're saying, okay, well, since you failed, we're only going to give you this much. Hmm. Well, he was a model prisoner. So, I mean, every time he's been in jail, he's been a model prisoner so far. Um, well, you're not a model prisoner when you're not in jail. <laughs> he's not Actually, a prisoner anymore, Amanda. That was just, just, he's not a model citizen. Yeah. But he's, he's a model not a prisoner. Model anymore he oh by the way you guys can go into the first two pictures oh i already did i also looked at cindy too let's not I've go ahead been looking at his dingy face <laughs> okay so after where am i so the year after making parole he abducts a 16 year old girl he drives her around for hours at gunpoint and he sexually assaults her over and over and threatens her he basically says, uh, I'll find you and I'll kill you if you say anything. And she complies and he does release her. Yes, Brie. Okay, so two things. One, I'm going to say it first, although I thought it second. Um, when you said, I will find you, he said, I'll find you and I'll kill you. It literally reminded me of that Taken. Do, have y'all seen Taken? Yeah, when that's the different. guy on the phone, he's like, I will find you and I will kill you. Yeah, I'm but sorry, he's looking for his daughter, so we can't be doing that. Yeah, I know. How old is he at this point? That was my second thing um, I wanted to say. Question. I didn't look First it up. Question. 36. He's, he's literally kidnapping a 16-year-old girl when he's 20 years older. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Probably because they're easy to uh, take advantage of because he's a disgusting, tiny little man. Yeah. So in 1975, in the Tenderloin District of Alaska, I just see Amanda laughing her ass off. I got to go giggle at the Tenderloin District, too. Yeah, I love Um, the Tenderloin. (laughs) Well, he's in the Tenderloin District of Alaska, and he meets a sex worker. They agree on a price, and he again holds her at gunpoint and rapes her. Uh, This woman never files charges with police. But she goes on to give his license plate number to a rape crisis center. Hell were, yeah. Uh-huh. They were able to identify him from that, and they contacted Hansen's parole officer. And when Han- Hansen was confronted, uh, he basically told the par- uh, parole officer that they had just gone out on a date. And she started demanding money, and he refused to pay. And so she's just making up this rape accusation. And the parole officer, he's not convinced, but... He's, he's, his hands are tied. He doesn't have anything to go off of. He's not admitting to a crime. He technically, the, the victim is not coming to police. It's the rape crisis center coming to him. The, they don't have anything. And so the parole officer is forced to drop it. In 1976, however, he goes on, by he I mean Hansen, he goes on to plead guilty to larceny after he was caught stealing a chainsaw. And he was sentenced to five years in prison. And required to receive psychiatric treatment. But the Alaska Supreme Court reduced his sentence and he was released with time served. Now, during this trial, during court, Hansen's parole officer actually testified to Hansen's increasingly violent behavior. 
and he gave input that Hansen should be in prison for public safety. The judge, however, did not take this, his priors into account, and they believe that he lived his life normally. He had a job, he had a family, he had kids. And so, his neighbors liked him. So, the, so, so the f- what if you have kids? You're still going on raping people and fucking assaulting people and h- holding people at gunpoint? Shit. That's all yep. I have to say. The, the neighbors. Thanks for listening to my rant. How does he keep getting reduced sentences? What qualifies this man? I don't, it's because he's manipulative. He is, he's manipulative. That's all it's coming down to. He looks like Swiss cheese. I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to talk bad about people. Like, I myself have a couple scars from acne, but I just really don't like this slimy, slimy person. Lizard man. None of us like the garbage, okay? That's why you have to take the trash out every now and then. Yes, Brie. So I have a quick question about the picture, specifically the second one of him. Um, this could have just been like something on the camera or whatever, but what is that thing underneath his chin? No idea. I have okay. no clue. So. Okay. Uh, where was I? Okay. <clears throat> In October 1979, Hansen's at a a club watching a dancer and he propositions her and she agrees to meet him outside after her shift, which at the time ended in about 20 minutes. He tells her, okay, look for my gold camper. I'm going to be parked outside waiting. She gets off of work and she does just that. She enters the camper and she's held at gunpoint. He forces her to strip down and binds her hands with snare wire and he tells her to stay quiet. But she does scream the entire time. She's freaking out. She's not having it. She knows something bad's coming up. And uh, Hansen, fearing getting caught, he jumps into the driver's seat and he just takes off. She's still in the camper, though. And basically, he's attempting to get to Wilderness to have what he considers alone time. And while he was driving, the woman was able to free her hands and she was banging on the back of the camper window. Hansen sees this, he pulls over, he gets out and walks around to the camper door, only to find that she had locked it. So he's locked out of the camper right now, but she thinks quick and she gets to the front seat, the driver's seat, and locks the driver's door too. So he gets back to the driver's door and it's locked, right? But the window's cracked a little bit and he reaches his arm in and he's trying to get it unlocked. And she rolls it up, getting his arm trapped. And now he's pissed and he, and just out of anger, he breaks down, he breaks the glass. And he drags her out of the vehicle. She, however, is somehow able to get on her feet and she gets away and she just runs. She runs as fast as she can. She doesn't know where she's going. She's just running. And he did pursue her. But after a couple minutes, he stopped and she escapes. She at the time was not able to identify her abductor. So Hansen actually got away with it. So in October of that same year, just later in October, because that one was in October. Uh, later that month, he uh, he's still on the prowl, and he picks up a 16-year-old girl. He takes her, uh, rapes her, and he lets her live because she tells him she's homeless and she's not eaten in two days, and he pities her and releases her. And I know at this time you guys are all asking, where the hell is his wife at and what the hell are his kids doing? So according to her, his wife's statement, she was pretty independent of him. 
Like, she supported him through his his jailing and stuff. She stood by him. It wasn't because she supported his actions, but it's because she believed that their faith could get him on the right track. So she she just believed that, okay, if we get him to church, he'll be on the right track. She, uh, I mean, she was really smart. She had a degree in education. She had her own career. I believe it said she had a master's degree. And she... I mean, she had her own money. She supported herself and the kids. Hanson really didn't do much for them. And so they were basically, from what I understood, is they were basically roommates that shared a bed. So she's kind of uninvolved in his life. She sounds like a really good person that got caught by a really bad person. Yes. So in 1980, a construction crew finds a shallow grave on Lutna Road, and police were unable to identify the woman's bodies that were the women's body that was find uh, found in that grave. They tried uh, doing like reconstructive sketches and sending that about, but nobody claimed this poor woman. So they go on to call her Eklutna Annie after the place she had been found. In May 1981, the body of Joanne Messina is discovered in a gravel pit near Seward. Joanne is a nurse in New York, but she had moved to Alaska for unknown reasons. Um, She had taken up sex work just to survive. And the boarding house that she had recently been staying at had just kicked her out when she disappeared. And then there is Sherry Morrill. Oops, sorry, I scrolled. So Sherry Morrill. Let me make sure that's her last name. I don't have it. there. Is it Sherry Morrill? Morrill. Yeah, Sherry Morrill. Sorry. Um, I knew I had to type in her name and I never did. Sorry. So Sherry Morrow, her body is found in 1982. She was working as a sex worker. She tells her friend that she met a photographer at work and he wanted to do some sort of a photography shoot with her. Her friend's like, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. But she goes anyway and she never returns home. And her boyfriend, Dale, reports her missing in 1981 when she does go missing. Police, however, do not follow up. And they basically state that many young women in her profession could up and leave without a trace. Her boyfriend argues, saying, we were really excited to get married. Like, we were planning our future together. And he goes on at one point where he goes to the police once a week, just begging them to do something. And, yeah, so he was heartbroken. And then Paula Golding was found next. She went missing and was found in a shallow grave on the brink, on the bank of the Nick River. She was found with a shot to the back. What's weird about this is there were no bullet holes in her clothing. So this suggests that she was redressed after being shot. Um, Yeah, so she was shot while she was nude and then someone put her clothes on her. Huh. Uh Okay. Detective Glenn Flothy, Flothy is what I think everything said, of the Alaska State Troopers had been part of a team investigating the discovery of these bodies. Um, these were all discovered in around uh Anchorage Seward and God Matanuska Susitina Valley area. Sorry for those of you in Alaska. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. Um, go ahead and correct me later, but that's the best you get. So Flothy, Flothy, Flothy believed that all three women had been murdered by the same person, and he goes on to to contact FBI Special Agent John Douglas. And he requests help with an offender profile. Douglas believed his profile. He believed that the killer would be an experienced hunter between the ages of 33 and 44. 
had a history of arson and shoplifting, would have low self-esteem, have a history of being rejected by women, would feel compelled to keep souvenirs such as jewelry, and he also suggested that the assailant might have a stutter or a speech impediment. Shit, that is spot on. Bro, like, this, I love shit like that. Like, if I go, if I could go back and, like, take college seriously, this would be it. Uh Either this or, like, a linguist, but. Yeah. FBI gives them this profile, and like I said earlier, this is, I mean, these killings are happening between 1971 and 1983. By this time, he had his MO. He would abduct women at gunpoint. In most instances, he would tie her up and rape her. He would then take her to a secluded area, play a fucking sick and twisted game of cat and mouse, typically stripping them nude and making them run uh, from him. Uh, He would release the women, and then he would hunt them as if they were animals, and he would shoot or stab his victims and then redress and bury them. He would then return home as if nothing happened. In 1983, Hansen sends his wife and kids to Europe for a little getaway. Um, so they're they're gone. They're out of the picture. Nothing. They don't know anything right now. Yes. He sends them or they go willingly. Me, I, I know you said that like she kind of does her own thing. So that's why I ask. Like, did I'm they assuming, just decide to go? Or did- I'm assuming he said, hey, why don't you guys go to Europe for the summer and do a family vacation? I can't because I have the bakery. And they willingly uh, went, but he paid for it. Okay. So... <clears throat> He did this, he states that he did this to complete what he referred to as his summer project. And he posted an ad in a local singles newspaper seeking women to, quote, join me in finding what's around the next bend over the next hill. Get over yourself. Uh Uh-huh. So he posts that. He's got some nefarious plans. Um. And on June 13th, 1983, Hansen offers 17-year-old Cindy Paulson $200 to perform oral sex. She agrees. She gets in his car and he pulls out a gun and holds her at gunpoint while he drives her to his home. Now, it's an empty home because there's no wife and kids. Um, he ties her up in his basement and he rapes and tortures her. Cindy claims to have been chained by her neck to a pipe in his basement. She stated that after this, he left her tied up while he took a nap on a nearby couch. And he told her, don't wake me up. You don't want to see me when I'm mad. So there's that. When he woke up, he rapes her again. And he loads her up in his car and he drives her to the private airport. So this is a small private airport. So, you know, like no TSA or anything like that. So nothing crazy. He told her that he intended to take her to his cabin in a remote area. And his cabin is like this little shack in the Nick River area by the Matanuska Sisitna Valley. Sisitna. Sisitna. I don't know how to fucking say it. Sorry. Um, This was actually only accessible or easily accessible by boat or bush plane. And... While he was preparing his plane, Paulson or Cindy, she saw her opportunity. Speaking of, you guys can go into that third picture. So she sees her opportunity. And while her hands are tied, her wrists are not tied, they're cuffed in front of her body. She manages to get herself in the front seat of the car, open the driver's side door, and just bolt out towards the closest road. So this girl, she takes off. And she gets to the busy road and Hanson did pursue her but he was too late 
And I mean, this girl, she's running barefoot and handcuffed as fast as she could. Now, Paulson had intentionally left her sneakers in the car as evidence that she had been in his car. So she was thinking ahead. And a truck driver ends up seeing her and stopping to help Paulson. The truck driver, bless his heart, Robert Yount, stopped to help her and stated that he was alarmed by her appearance. He drove her to the Mush Inn, where she jumped out of his truck and ran inside. And there she pleaded with the front desk attendant to make a phone call to her boyfriend. And the truck driver, Robert Yount, is like, I'm going to work. Bye. And he goes to work. But once he gets to work, he calls police and he's like, so real weird thing happened today. Uh, I think you guys should go check it out. And he tells them what happened. He's like, there's a girl. This is where I left her. I, it's just kind of weird. And the Anchorage Police Department arrive at the Mush Inn and the clerk tells them that the girl took a cab to the Big Timber Motel. What did you say that this place was called? Mush so Inn. So it started at Mush Inn, but she went to Big Timber Inn. And if you mix them, it's almost Big Bush Inn. <laughs> So this is just like none of these names sound like hotels, safe places to sleep. Yeah. You know, the clerk there tells them go to the Big Timber Motel. She took a cab there. So the Anchorage Police Department officers arrive at her room. Now, keep in mind, the Anchorage Police Department is different than the Alaskan state troopers that are investigating the murders. So. Anchorage officers arrive at her room and they find her still handcuffed and alone. She's just there. So they take her to the police station where she gives them her statement and she describes the perpetrator. Uh, Hansen is found and he's questioned by APD, but he denies the accusations. He stated that Paulson was trying to cause trouble for him because he wouldn't pay for her extortion demands. Sound familiar? This isn't the first time he's said it. Skeevy butthole. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, regardless of his past, the Anchorage Police Department struggled to believe his story because of what they called his meek demeanor and humble occupation as a baker. In addition, there were some inconsistencies with Cindy's injuries and her story. So basically, they're like, um, your wrists look like they were browned. It doesn't look like you were ever bound by your neck. What the and fuck? They also, from what I understood, is they did a search of the home of Hansen and didn't find a room that matched what she described. Um, and so we they're went like, through a traumatic experience, dickheads. Yeah. So, in addition, Hansen also had an alibi from his friend John Henning. John Henning, I'm not upset with him. I'm disappointed with him. <laughs> All right, Dad. <laughs> He gets a call from, from Hanson the night that this all happened with Cindy. And he's like, listen, I made a mistake, John. I called this, prostit- this uh, prostitute over and she's, she's demanding I pay more and I'm refusing. And now she's claiming rape to the police. And I just don't want this to ruin my family. And it was, it was a mistake. And he's just claiming all this left and right. And John, he's a good guy. John he's was just like, trying to be a homie. Yeah, and so he does give him an alibi, which he later retracts, so don't worry about that. But because of all these things, this really keeps Hansen from being considered a serious suspect. They're kind of like, whatever. Like I said, this kind of kept him from being kept as a serious suspect. However, when Flothy, 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 what have I been saying? Flothy? 
Flothy. I think I've been saying Flothy. I don't know. When the uh, Flothy person, uh, that detective, uh, catches wind of Hanson, he realizes that, oh my god, this matches perfectly to the profile we had built. So he talks with Paulson and he wholeheartedly believes Paulson. He's like, okay, this, this girl went through this and she went through the ringer. Plus with the profile that the FBI made, he was able to secure a warrant to search Hanson's plane, vehicles, and home. Um, and he brings Paulson in, not Paulson, I'm sorry, he brings Hanson in for questioning. And on October 27th, 1982, investigators uncover jewelry belonging to many different missing women. An array of firearms were in a corner hideaway of his attic. They found an aeronautical chart with 20 plus X marks hidden behind his headboard that he shared with his wife. Ew. The marks seemed to indicate sites where prior bodies had been found. They would go on to discover additional bodies at those sites. Hey, here's just a thought. Oh my okay. um, when he goes to trial and prison, reduce his sentence. Just a suggestion. What Amanda, she needs to fired. say is make his sentence longer so that he actually stays in there for that amount of time. Okay, well, let's, we'll talk about it. So when he is confronted with the evidence found in his home, he's like, deny, deny, deny. And it explained that, uh, Flothy? Flothy, Flothy. Whoever it is. Uh, Flothy. It looks like a Brie is saying Flothy. <laughs> um, Actually, I was saying them both simultaneously. Flothy, 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 Flothy. It's F-L-O-T-H-E. Flothy, flothy, flothy. See, float. That's where I'm like. I would think it's just like floth. <laughs> flothy, floth. I don't know. Oh. I'm gonna go with flothal, flothal bottom. I don't know. Flothal bottom. That's the flothal. name of the episode. Because I'm because I keep thinking like apple bottom jeans, boots with the, with the fur. fur, with the fur. The whole club was looking <laughs> at her. From what I understood, is he sets up like this. He's, he intentionally does everything in the interrogation room. Like he's very methodical in what he's doing. So when they bring Hanson in, he's got like pictures and evidence lined out for him to see to be like, interesting. Um, and then they could just keep throwing more and more evidence at him. So initially, initially Hanson denies any accusations. He's like, no, I don't, I don't know who you're talking. What? Who? No, no. And finally, as more and more evidence is presented, he starts blaming the women and he's trying to justify his actions. And eventually he confesses as each item of evidence uh, is presented to him. And he admitted to a spree of attacks against Alaskan women starting in 1971. And he stated that his early victims were young girls and women between the ages of 16 to 19. And he later transitioned to targeting sex workers because it was a lower profile. He was charged with assault and kidnapping, multiple weapons offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. The insurance fraud was because he sent a claim to the insurance for alleged theft of some of his trophies, and he used the money he got from the insurance to purchase his plane that he used to fly women out to murder them. You are so, fucking kidding. He goes on how to say that... For insurance fraud? I don't know how much he got. He goes on to claim that he recovered the trophies in his backyard later and just forgot to tell the insurance. Flipped his mind. Uh-huh. Because that's something you forget. And that's those trophies are something you just find in the backyard later, right? Yeah. So. Oh, no, totally. Like, as a kid, I collected bird feathers. Yeah, but those were precious. They went into your house with you, not in your backyard. No, my mom made me get them out of the house because birds have diseases. Well, you still attempted to take them in. 
Oh, I have so, some now. See, with the mounds and mounds of evidence against him, he goes on to enter his first plea deal where he pleads guilty to four counts of first degree murder. And the reason is he, jewelry belonged to the victims. They found the murder map and the ballistics came back with a match between bullets found at the crime scenes that matched Hansen's rifles. And so we're only talking about those four women that I listed off earlier. However, him and his attorney go to sign the first plea deal and the prosecution is like, no, we we're fairly certain that this murder map here shows where your different victims are. So let's just per make this perfectly clear that, yeah, you're going to plea for these four murders. However, we're still going to prosecute you for every other body we can. And he freaks out and they enter into a new plea deal. And this plea deal includes him uh, test not testifying, pleading guilty to the four homicides, not four homicides, four first degree murders for the ones that he, they had evidence to. And he had to cooperate in identifying other victims and where their bodies or remains were. So he had to help decipher some of the marks on the aviation map and locate those bodies. And he did confirm it was a murder map. He also confirmed the police theory about how he abducted women by holding them at gunpoint, meeting them on the streets, and then forcing them into his car. Um, he even stated that some of his victims, he would let go if they were able to convince him that they would not call police. Yes, Amanda. What? No, always call police, please. Yeah, always call the police. Even but if you also, convince them. If you can convince them that, to not call too. the police and therefore not kill you, please call the police immediately after. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do understand them, too, because I had a boyfriend hit me, and the first thing on my mind was not call the police. I did later, but no. He goes on to provide details about his other victims in return for serving his sentence in federal prison and also no publicity in the press. He was trying to spare his family. So, oh. um, you know. I mean, I uh, get it for his family, but I don't like him. Well, like, right, but. You could very easily spare your family by not doing any of this yeah so he confessed to a total of 17 murders and he also confessed to raping an additional 30 women at this time that he did not murder now they needed him to take them to where he buried the bodies because like they had the map but it wasn't necessarily 1000 percent accurate and witnesses that went with like officers that were there were horrified when they were taking him, um, him to the grave sites because he was like reveling in it he was excited like the way he acted was just disturbing and disgusting he was reliving what he would consider his finest moments even though he, they're not he's and a loser so, he is so he does show them the 17 different grave sites in and around central Alaska 12 of them were unknown to investigators the only reason they knew about them was because of the map and <clears throat> there were a couple marks on the map that he refused to give details of, including, including three marks near Resurrection Bay in Seward. And police suspect that two of the markings belong to the graves of Mary Thill and Megan Emmerich. And Hansen denies killing them, but the time frames of their disappearance, as well as Hansen's in, um, location at the time, match up. And so, I don't know, he's already killed all these people and going to jail, so I don't... Anyways, so Hansen was sentenced to to prison. Would you like to guess how many years? What was he? What was he on trial for? Five. So he pled guilty to uh, four counts of first degree murder. Twenty three. You guys are so far off. Thank God. A hundred. Twelve months. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Uh, oh. 
<laughs> Just kidding. He, are you guys wanting to continue guessing? Because it's more than 100 years. Oh, hell yeah. Is it like 234? Or is it a lifetime for like each of the women? Basically. 461 years without yes. the possibility of parole. So hell, he could uh, not they, even be paroled. Finally. For real. Like y'all let him slip through the cracks for this long. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even through the cracks. You just let him walk out the damn door. You opened it for him. I did miss a bullet, and police did exhume the remains of 12 victims, and they returned those to their families if they could be identified. So. Oh, good. He was first imprisoned at the United States Penitentiary Lewisburg in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. In 1988, he was returned to Alaska and briefly incarcerated at Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau. He was also imprisoned at Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward until May of 2014. He was then transported to the Anchorage Correctional Complex for health reasons. Um, after he was convicted on all those murders, remember how I said he held some hunting, um, hunting records? All of those records were vacated after he was convicted. Ah, loser. He died on August 21st, 2014 at the age of 75 at the Alaska Regional Hospital due to natural causes. I have a list of his victims. The first three are potential victims. He never admit killing them. He actually denied killing them. But... Their bodies were found where there was an X on the aviation map. So, first one is Celia Beth Van Zanten. She went missing on, she was 17 years old, went missing on December 22nd, 1971. She was found December 25th, 1971. This is the young lady who was found with, like, she had died from hypothermia. Um, Again, he denies killing her, but a lot of people believe it was him. Um, and then you have Megan Emrick, 17 years old. She went missing July 7th, 1973. Again, he denies killing her. Um, same for Mary Thill, who was 22. She went missing on July 5th, 1975. And a correction to a statement I made, Mary and Megan's bodies were never found. But they do believe that's where they were. Uh, the next one is the Eklutna Annie. She was between the age of 16 and 25. She was never positively ID'd. Um, no one's sure when she went missing because no one knows who she was. And they believe that she was killed between November 1979 and June of 1980. She was recovered on July 21st, 1980. She was the first victim. Um, and she had been stabbed in the back. And by the time her body was discovered, um, it had been partially eaten by wild animals. So that's part of the reason they couldn't positively identify her. Oh, my God. And then you have Joanna Messina, 24 years old. Uh, 24 years old, she went missing May 19th, 1980, presumed to have died May 19th, 1980. Uh, she was recovered late July of 1980, and uh, we've already talked about where she was found. And then there's a Roxanne Eastland, 24 years old, uh, went missing on June 28th, 1980, presumed to have died June 28th, 1980, based off of a, a confession. Her body has never been found, but Hansen confessed to killing her. There's Lisa Futrell. She was 41 years old. She went missing on September 6, 1980. Unclear of when she died. Her body was recovered May 9, 1980. Um, and that was with the help and guidance of the, the garbage. Um, and then there's Sherry Morrow. She was 23 years old. She went missing on November 17, 1981. It's unclear when she was killed, but it's assumed that it was November 17, 1981. 
Her body was recovered September 12th, 1982. And we've already talked about her. She is the one where she had been shot, but her clothes had no holes in it. So it suggested that she was naked when she was shot. Mm. Um, and then you have Andrea Fish Altieri. She's 22 years old. She went missing on December, uh, December 2nd, 1981. Unclear again on when she was killed, but it's assumed on December 2nd. Her body has never been recovered. Um, and Hansen confessed to killing her, but her body was never found. And then you have Sue Luna. She is 23 years old. She was born on May 26, 1982. Again, not clear when she died. It's assumed May 26. Her body was recovered April 24, 1984, and she had been stripped nude and forced to run through the forest while Hansen hunted her like an animal, and she was shot to death. You have Robin Pelkey, age 19. It's unclear when she disappeared. Um, but it is stated that she died January of 83. She was recovered in April of 84. She actually was originally nicknamed Horseshoe Harriet because they could not identify her. They just recently identified her in October of 2021 through forensic genealogy. To decide why they called her Horseshoe Harriet? Um, it's the area they found her. The area was Horseshoe something. Okay. Um, and then you have Daylin Sugar Frey. She was 20 years old. Again, not clear when she went missing, but uh, presumed to have died in April 1883. Uh, she was found August 20th, 1985, and her body was actually found by a pilot testing new tires on the sandbar of the Nick River. Um, so that one was coincidental. Paula Golding, 21. She died or was doing dis- disappeared April 25th, 1983. Assumed to have died April 25th, 1983. Um, her body was recovered September 2nd, 1983. And we've also talked about her as well. She was also shot and redressed after being shot. Um, you have Cindy Paulson. He, she survived. So she was 17 years old. That happened on June 13th, 1983. Uh, you have Malal, Malay, M-A-L-A-I. Malay. I would say either Malay or Malay. Malay. I don't know. Um, she was 25 years old. June, uh, or she went missing missing June 18, not 18, 1981, between, and she was presumed to have died sometime in June 1981. Uh, she, her body was recovered April 24th, 1984. There's no details about how she was murdered. Uh, then there's Teresa Watson, 22 years old. She, she disappeared April 29th, 18, 1983. I don't know why I keep saying 18. Uh, presumed to have died around that same time. Uh, and her body was recovered April 26, 1984. Again, no details on how she was murdered. You have Angela Federn. She was 24, 24 years old. Uh, disappeared February 1983. Uh, presumed to have died in 83 around the same time. Her body was recovered April 26, 1984. And there's no details on this one either. And then there's Tamara Tammy Peterson, 20 years old. Uh, she disappeared in August of 82, presumed to have died in 82. Uh, her body was recovered April 29th, 1984. And you'll notice that that's not all 17 victims he confessed to. Many of the victims, he didn't know who they were. And so some of them, we simply just don't know their identity. Um, or we were never able to recover their bodies. And so there's no way to find their identity. And so. That is the story of the Butcher Baker and the piece of garbage that Robert Hansen is. 
He's the worst. Yes. There you guys have it. I hope you did not enjoy that, but also enjoyed it. I just did. I don't like him. He's so. He's the worst. Yeah, the worst of the worst. Like there, he has no redeeming he qualities. Like literally he's not even... hunted women like animals. Yes. He's not even one of these people that the neighbors are like, oh, well, he was an okay guy. No, he was, he was dog doo-doo. No, the neighbors did think he was an okay guy, so. Well, he's still dog doo-doo. Well, he is. Um, I did not mention his friend that had the alibi for him. John? Yeah. He did retract his statement after all of this started coming out about the murder. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just thought I was being a good friend. And yeah. I thought I was trying to save his marriage. I did not think it was murder. And so he does go to police and he's like, mm, no, I'm sorry. I retract. He was not with me. I'm glad that he did that. But at the same time, like, why are you lying to police to, to save this guy's? What? But I, I get know. it. Yeah. So he's just trying to be a homie. Yeah. Uh, the other two pictures I have are of different victims. And so you'll see a bunch of them right in there. Um. Uh, and that includes the presumed victims as well. So, Sarah, you'll have it. Are you ready? I'm so excited because this oh. is a request from me. Yes. This is Brie, are you ready? Okay, let's just talk shit about Brie because she can't. I'm just kidding. Actually, oh I my gosh, that Brie. My uh, <laughs> that Brie, her hair is so luscious and oh, so beautiful. You. How dare she? I hate her so much. Y'all are terrible at talking shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's because we like you. Like, we got to get started on somebody we don't like. Oh. Let's talk about garbage. Yeah, that's garbage. And also garbage. Ugh. Okay. Really excited because I requested this one. So, this is one that Bryce specifically requested. And I was like, eh, okay. And... (laughs) I've actually heard of this before. I don't know if it's because I'm from Alabama or what. But I requested you to do it. I am supposed to go by or go home. And I'm also supposed to visit family in northern Alabama. So when I drive through, I'm going to see if I can see this. I'm not going to go to it because James has some rule about how I'm not allowed to take the baby ghost hunting. But I can drive past. (laughs) Um, yeah, he's a square. What James doesn't know can't hurt him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He exactly. said I can't hunt ghosts. He didn't say anything about driving past the ghosts. Okay, but technically you're not hunting ghosts if they don't exist, right? Oh, so no. just tell them that they don't exist, right? Oh, these exist. He'll believe you. I'm so excited. Go, 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 go. Story time, go. We're going to talk about Sloss Furnace. S-L-O-S-S. It is in Birmingham, Alabama. And most of the background I got, I just want to shout out, shout out slossfurnaces.com because they're freaking wonderful. They have a little 22 minute video. Highly recommend you watch that video. It is packed of info about the history of the place. And I had to like keep editing. So it wasn't forever long. But Sloss Furnaces was founded in June. I'm sorry, you edited the video? No, no, I had to edit my uh, what I kept taking from the video. Oh, okay. So it was founded, the furnace was founded June 1881 by James W. Sloss. And fun fact, apparently Birmingham, the city, was founded in 1871. So these furnaces are almost as old as the city of Birmingham, Alabama. 
pretty Damn. cool. It was in operation from April 1882 to 1970. It's one of the most successful, or I'm sorry, it was one of the most successful industrial plants in the nation. The first year it was open in 1882, it produced 24,000 tons of pig iron in the first year. It also received a bronze medal in 1883, so the second year it was open, for the best pig iron. And pig iron is just a specific type of iron. It's a specific, it comes from a specific mixture. And they call it pig iron because of the casts that it was set in. Apparently, they looked like little pigs lying down. That's kind of cute. I thought so. I like to just add that in there. Sloss, the man, retired in 1886. And he sold the company to a group of investors and financers. And they reorganized in 1899 as Sloss Sheffield Steel and Iron uh, but they never made steel. They intended to, and it just never panned out. They sold a few more times uh, the the furnace itself. It sold and exchanged hands a few more times before it became obsolete. Not only because we got better, you know, industries uh, than steam powered like this furnace was. But also because of the amount of smog that was happening at the time, this is around when the United States started fining people for pollution and stuff. The labor force was 75% African-American, but it was still segregated until the 1960s. They had separate bathhouses, different time clocks. They even had separate company picnics, which is just, dang, that's a whole different kind of messed up. Yeah. Okay, at least they did have company picnics, though, for... African-Americans. I mean, I guess I'll give them credit for that, but... I mean, when you think about it, like, they were treated horribly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I go into that a little bit. All of the managers, the chemists, the accountants, and the engineers were white. So pretty much, like, the high-paying positions where the... They called it labor gang was all African-American. It was the lowest-paying and the most physically demanding jobs. Thoughts. Lewis, he was one of the new owners when it became Sloth Sheffield. And he was actually quoted saying convict labor, mostly black, was an important weapon in the district's economic warfare with northern manufacturing because they took advantage of something called the convict lease system. Basically, from 1875 to 1928, people and companies would pay fees to state and county government. And they would be sent prisoners to do labor on farms, at lumber yards, and in coal mines. And SlossFurnaces.com summed it up perfectly by saying slavery had not died, but merely been transformed. Fair. Yeah. Like, when I heard that, I was like, well, that's, that's just disgusting. Okay. But it is another kind of, this is something, you know, this is energy that we have in this place. Uh, another type of energy. Thousands of workers were said to fall victim to these furnaces. This is a place that ran before OSHA was a thing. It was, there were no workplace safety standards that existed at this time. So the, the stuff that these men did were just out of control. It was, it was insane. It was extremely dangerous. Um, men were incinerated after falling into molten steel. They were poisoned by carbon monoxide. That was often, that's a part of making steel. Um, 
They were subject to steam explosions. Men fell off catwalks. They worked 12-hour days. They had no holidays, no time off. They were paid really poorly. And sometimes, oftentimes, actually, it said that they were paid in something called scripts, which was not money, but it was store credit that worked at the store, the company store, on the grounds of the furnace. What did that store sell again? It sold... Like your basic goods. It was kind of like a um, kind of like a grocery store or something like that. Eighteen hundreds y. That was on. Bitch, I don't want a fucking apple for my birthday. <laughs> Give me some what? actual money. Yeah, like no, this is um. They didn't do that. <laughs> uh, so, in the nineteen seventies, that's when Congress enacted OSHA, but the plant did start making. Some safety improvements before that, they started making these improvements under the direction of Vice President James Pickering Doval. And he's, he was the head of a lot of this. The company didn't really want to sink the money that it was going to cost into making these changes. One of the shows that I watched about this, the man, he used to work there and he said when they worked there, they had a saying, kill a man, hire another one kill a mule, buy another one. They didn't want you killing any mules because you had to pay for them, where they could just hire another person. That's fucked up. Yeah. And these safety improvements, they only made these during World War I when they started making close to $2 million a year because they were selling steel and stuff like that to the government. So... Now, since they're making even more money than what they were, they decided to go ahead with this. One of those improvements you can see is the third picture. And the top is called floor casting. And they would basically pour this molten lava into these casts on the floor. And then that changed in... The 1930s, they they installed the thing on the bottom, which is called an automatic pig casting machine. And this machine was developed in 1895, but the Slaus administrators, they kept refusing to install it because of how much it would cost. What does it do? It just fills the casts automatically. And it did end up, not only was it safer because you didn't have people handling this hot liquid iron as often, they still had to. But this machine poured it so the people didn't have to, and it kind of saved them money and, and perfected their quality because it was a machine doing it, so it was more uniform. After closing, Sloss Furnaces was abandoned, and it soon fell victim to the elements. Experts recommended demolition due to the extensive damage to the property, and the community rallied together, and they slaved Sloss Furnaces. I'm sorry, y'all, this is a lot of S's. They saved Sloss Furnaces in 1981. Say that five times fast. No. Okay. <laughs> save Sloss Furnaces. Save Sloss. No. They saved it in 1981, and it was designated a National Historic Landmark. The workers renewed the structures, but they didn't change anything. And they opened it as a museum in 1893 on Labor Day. And as of today, it is the only 20th century blast furnished in the U.S. being preserved as a historic industrial site. 
There are none of the original buildings still standing, but the oldest room they have is called the Blowing Engine Room. And this is where they literally blew air to the engines. And it dates back to 1902. And the engines in that room are from 1900 to 1902, some, somewhere in between there. So still a long-ass time ago. Nowadays, uh, Sloss Furnaces hosts festivals, concerts, wedding, presentations, field trips. It hosts one of the best metal arts programs in the U.S. They offer iron pour demos, classes, and demonstrations. And they boast that their most important initiative is the Summer Youth Apprenticeship Program. And it trains the next generation of metal artists, which is pretty cool. In every other year, Sloss Metal Arts Program hosts the National Conference on Contemporary Cast Iron Art and Practices. And of course, in October, they open it as a haunted house called Fright Furnace. I want to go so bad. It Can really we do that? Fun. It was closed for 2021, and their uh, their website hasn't been updated yet, so I don't know if they're going to open this year. But I am going to keep looking because it looks so fun. They have like Green, clowns. Can you get on board with that one? Everything. Fuck yeah. Okay, everyone, save up for a Sloss Furnace haunted house. What did it call it? Fright Furnace. Fright Furnace. Yeah, everyone it's literally I think frightfurnace.com. Now, are y'all ready for the spirits? <gasps> yes. Fuck I'm yes. So so the first one, if we decide to have another kid, I'm naming him this. James doesn't get a say. Theopolis Calvin Jowers. The whole name or just Theopolis? Theopolis. I like it. It's like Theopolis or Paulus. Theopolis. Yeah. Fuck yeah. No, I, I love, love that. It. Theopolis Calvin Jowers. He moved to Birmingham with his family to work at the furnaces. Y'all, he loved working at furnaces. This was like his life's calling. Even though it was seriously dangerous, his wife begged him to quit. But Theo just loved it. And he was actually quoted saying, as long as there's a furnace in Jefferson County, I'm going to be working there. And that's what he did. He worked at a furnace in Jefferson County. It was in Birmingham. It was not Sloss Furnaces. It was called Alice Furnaces. And one day, Theo fell into the molten iron. The Birmingham Age reported that they were able to salvage his head, bowels, two hip bones, and some ashes by attaching a piece of sheet iron to a gas pipe before the rest of him was incinerated. That poor man. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's, Bryce, um, you wanted to hear this. I know. This one's for you. Oh, I know. I know what I was getting myself into. Trust me, I have seen the Ghost Adventures episodes. And just as a, uh, like, to help y'all kind of picture this, iron melts at 1,800 degrees Celsius or 3,270 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's kind of hot. Just a little bit. Mm -hmm. like and these men blow on it and it'll cool it off, right? Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, like dandelion blow on it, same thing. Yeah, okay, okay. So, I mean, not that bad. <laughs> These buildings, people said it got up to 140 degrees, like, daily in these buildings. Um, didn't have AC, ugh. Now, after Theopolis died, workers claimed to see him making his normal rounds. He was working with and checking on his former crew. 
Other people reported an unrecognizable man figure or male figure moving in areas in the furnace that were way too hot for anybody to survive. And they also started feeling cold spots. Furnaces. It closed. And when it did. I'm sorry, it closed and it was torn down in 1905. When it closed and torn down, his ghost started being reported at a second furnace. And that one closed in 1927. And now they claim to see Jowers at Sloss Furnaces across the town. It's the only furnace that's still standing in Birmingham. And it's still technically open. So it kind of goes back dedicated. to Yeah, he loved it. That's, as long as there's a furnace in Jefferson County, he's going to be working there. So he, oh he went on God. over to Sloss. He loved his job. I mean, dedication. Good for him. Okay, now I got to bring it down. James Slag Wormwood. He was the foreman of the graveyard shift of, and he had about 150 workers in the early 1900s working on the graveyard shift. That's like a skeleton crew, especially to a furnace this big. And this is in the 1900s, the early 1900s. So they didn't have, you know, all the lights and stuff. It wasn't, it was hot. It wasn't properly lit. Night shift at this time and at this furnace specifically, it was said to be the worst shift. The people that needed money the most and were the most desperate for work, they worked on the night shift. And Slag, he was known for forcing his workers to work quickly and dangerously. He didn't care. He just wanted it done because he was trying to impress his supervisors. And there was reportedly 47 workers that died while he was in charge of night shift, 47 on the night shift. This is 10 times more than any other shift in the history of the furnaces. Terrible. It was considered a living hell, night shift was. Um, And a lot of the workers on the night shift, they were immigrants, and they were forced to live in cramped housing on the site, and they could be forced to go back to work at any time. Like, middle of the night for them type thing? Yep. Like forced? Forced. Mm -hmm. How can they be forced? Like, if my door is locked and I'm sleeping and I'm ignoring your ass, what you gonna do about it? Well, they're immigrants and they live on site. So uh, in my mind, I imagine, you know, before they had any laws against this, they just come with a foot in your door and they're like, hey, put your gloves on and go sling some iron or whatever you do with iron. super dangerous. Like you're half awake slinging iron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially molten hot liquid iron. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. In In October 1906, Slag lost his footing and he fell into Big Alice. And Big Alice is the tallest blast furnace that's on the property. They refer to it as Big Alice. His body immediately dissolved in the melting, the melt, what? The melted iron ore. I couldn't read what I wrote there. That's so sad. The official report says that he became dizzy from the methane gases that are released And he lost his footing and fell. But the rumors are that the workers finally got tired of him and forced him on top of Big Alice and pushed him in. Because they say in the entirety of his employment at the furnace, Slag never stepped foot on top of a furnace. 
Well, I mean, if he's causing that many deaths, can people blame them? But also, it's not okay to kill anyone. Yeah, it's not okay. Don't kill anybody. But also, <clears throat> see the slide. Self-defense. Mm-hmm. Well, even self-defense, proportional, proportional yeah. force, guys. Yeah, self-defense stop when the need to defend yourself stops. Just, just words that'll save your life, okay? Not long after his death, Sloss Industries, they had to end the night shift because they had so many accidents and all it said was strange incidents decreasing production. Okay. And here's a list of haunts uh, that people believe are slag. In 1926, a night watchman injured, or he was injured after being shoved from behind and he heard a deep, angry voice tell him to get back to work. Uh, so credit to this dude, because that's what he does. He searches the entire property and he finds nobody. So he has no idea where this voice come from. In 1947, three supervisors went missing. They were later found unconscious in the small boiler room. And that was on a, di a completely different part of the property. Not one of the men knew what happened, but all three claimed to be approached by a man with severely burned skin who yelled at them to push some steel. I mean, damn. Fucking mm -hmm. ushy. Yeah, right. It's not even night shift. This isn't your job. You're not my boss. Back off. In 1971, the night before the plant closed, Samuel Blumenthal. I love that name. Love uh, if I wasn't married, I would marry him. Blumenthal. And then probably and come back to James. But I just want that Blumenthal. Samuel Blumenthal. He was the night watchman at the time. And he was kind of walking around and just taking a last, a last look at the place. He found himself face-to-face -face with, as he described it, the most frightening thing he had ever seen. He described it as evil, half-man, half-demon. And he said he tried to push him up the stairs. And when Blumenthal refused, the monster began to beat on him with his fists. Rude. So Blumenthal, he's examined by Dr. Jack, Jack Barlow, and he was found covered with intense burns. And he never went back to Sloss. He died before Ugh. he could ever return. Oh, I thought you away. meant like, never mind, not that. I thought you meant like he refused. Yeah, I tried, like, the way that came out, I didn't like it and I tried to correct it, but sorry. Never mind. I thought he was like, I'm not going back. I got burns galore. Goodbye. No, it's sad. On October 4th, 2003, Josh Thomas, one of Fright Furnace's longtime crew members, Caught on fire after he saw a strange shape. He suffered burns throughout his body and he was taken to the hospital and he still can't recall what happened. This happened on the night. It was almost on the exact 32nd Avenue of Samuel Blumenthal burn attack in 1971. He just like randomly combusts. Yep. Okay. The most horrendous death said to happen in the blowing engine room. Prior to the fences being installed in the 1950s, and the fences uh, are in that second photo, a worker was having his lunch by one of those flywheels. And these flywheels are 25 feet tall, and they turn continuously at high speeds. He was sitting kind of up against the 
pole, if you can just imagine it, he was sitting like towards the middle of it. And he was leaning up against the pole, eating his lunch. And witnesses say that he was literally there. They looked away for a second and he was gone because his clothes got caught in the wheel and he was pulled inside. There was no way to stop the wheel. So they had to just turn it off and wait for momentum to die down and the wheel to just slow to a stop. Um, this man was mangled to death and historian Dr. Richard Neely said roughly every two seconds he would make a rotation and the witnesses said that there would be less of him there. Oh, poor guy. They also mentioned men caught in a steam explosion, but the sources varied with the facts about this one specific story. However, uh, the most commonly reported it to be three men and they were walking up the stairs dead and didn't know it yet because they got caught in a steam explosion and witnesses say that their skin was so bubbled and horrible that they didn't know what to do. So they just wrapped them up in sheets at the doctor and they ended up dying later. That is terrible. Can't imagine like I've got burned by steam before and I had like my skin bubbled up. It's a big old blister. I can't imagine your entire body being like that. That's awful. The last one, uh, again, the names varied, but the story was pretty much the same. There were two men, and I believe they said that they were brothers, but I'm, I can't guarantee that. However, there were two men, and what they would do is lower them down into the furnaces because they would have to scrape this stuff called coke. And I believe he said it was just like raw, pure, unfiltered iron. Don't quote me on that either. I'm sorry. I should have looked that up. But it's like a byproduct of making iron. And they had to scrape it off the inside of the furnace. And when they did, some of it fell and caused a small explosion. And it was big enough to knock the men off their feet. And they actually fell into the molten hot steel. And they, too, were incinerated. Okay. Throughout the property, there are reports. It's everything. You name it, they got it. We got screams. We've got steam whistles, whispers, humming, your batteries suddenly draining when they were full, cold spots, breathing on your neck. People hear metal clanging. There's phantom smells, full body apparitions, feelings of being watched. You've got footsteps either behind you and when you turn around, no one's there. They also hear them above them, above you on the catwalks. There's grabbing, shoving, assaulting, figures peeking out from behind corners, columns, and pillars. Excuse me, no. There are reports of children's voices and giggles. Pardon me, no. And I don't want to do this uh, furnace frights anymore. Yeah. And this isn't, that's just the haunted house they make. This is just. Yeah, I don't know if I want to do the furnace frights anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. It really ruined it with the grabbing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, Bryce. You're just going to have to do with that because we're going. It's a thing. Yeah, um, will you tell Bree no again for me? Because this is me saying no, and I- I'm going to need your authority <laughs> here, Father. Um, actually, he doesn't have authority over you. You are 20... 20- Girl, you are 28 now. You can do whatever you want. 
I'm not dumb. My dad has authority. Listen, he helped bring me into this world. He can help take me out. I can't wait to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I am not dumb. I know my boundaries. (laughs) No haunted places. Got it. Girl, you are currently suggesting right now, if he can... Yes, he brought you into this world, but you're literally saying that he could kill you to take you out. That's the only way that he would take you out of this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I would haunt him. Full circle, you know? Well, and I, I, I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like if Bryce were to haunt somebody, it'd be more like her trying to play, like, prank jokes on you. And it'd actually be oh. really funny. That's oh, the worst. She would, sure. like, take... Yeah, I would, like, put my pen down and turn... Damn, I dropped it. And like Amanda would put her pen down and then she'd turn and look back and it'd be gone. I'd have yes. it like taped to the ceiling. Oh, that's just dirty. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of months later. <laughs> Got a new pen. Okay. <laughs> I would do that with all of them. Eventually one day you'd look up and there's just a line of pens taped to the ceiling. I would be sweeping the ceiling and I would be like, son of a bitch. But also I'm using duct tape. You're gonna have to get a chair. I'm gonna You're fall out of it. <laughs> That'd be terrible. Annie was like three weeks old. We had just got home from the hospital, and uh, I went and I went in the bedroom, and I was like, "Hey, is there like a scratch on my arm?" And James is like, "Oh my god, what happened?" And I was like, "Oh, I fell out of the chair. I was trying to put stuff in the top cabinets. <laughs> it was like purple. It was crazy." And then James is going to be asking you what happened. You're going to be like, well, that bitch, Bryce, taped all of our pens to the fucking ceiling again. And I fell out of the chair. Yeah, if she wasn't dead, I'd kill her. <laughs> I'm going to bring her back to life and kill her myself. <laughs> okay. Now. I lost my spot again. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of reports of children's voices and giggles. And there's reports of women, too. Because there used to be houses and even schools on the property because a lot of the workers would live there. So it was really common for mothers and children to bring the uh, their dad, brother, whoever, they would bring the workers lunch. And I don't like it because y'all know how I feel about little kid ghosts. I don't like little kid ghosts, but it's kind of sweet that they're bringing their parents ghosts. If a little kid ghost brings me food, like... Uh, I mean, cool. like, okay. in life. But also... I don't know if I'm going to trust food from a little kid ghost, because what ghost poison did you put on there? Mm, there is, there is no ghost poison. You don't know you that. Know? They could cast a spell on you, yeah, and... Or they could... No, that's a witch. Yeah, I know. I, I was going to... Listen, I I'm just saying... No ghost poison. How many ghosts have we talked about that have attempted to kill someone? 74 and a half. Okay, We're not even that many that episodes. Is, in. That's them like strangling them or like doing something mm. with their hands or with their teeth oh, or with their oh. body parts. Case in point, Bell Witch. That was just a poltergeist that poisoned someone. Damn, good point. Done. She poisoned someone. So, hey, but she was a poltergeist, not a ghost. Which is basically a ghost. It's just a strong ghost. It's a very strong ghost, and it's a mean ghost too. Yeah. So I'm not still not taking food from a child ghost. That's my point. All Thank right, you, but put it go. in the garbage. All right, give it to Bree. She can taste test it. <laughs> I'll taste test it. As long as it's, you know, good food, I'll taste I'll, t- I'll taste it. I'll, hell, I'll even eat the whole thing. Okay, Amanda, go on. Yet, and the 
in the early 1900s? Were they? Would we? Do we have spices yet? I'm fairly certain. Yeah, those were around for a while. Okay. Well, then I might try it. But you gotta just don't bring me shit that ain't got pepper. Come on. I've only got two more paragraphs. Um, Philip Harris of the Birmingham Police Department. He claimed that the police are very often called out. He said they're just used to it at this point. He said one night he was dispatched and they claimed to hear a ching, 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 ching sound heard at the railroad track on site that they used to transport the steel. And when the cops got there, he said they walked around and they heard the noise too. But as they're shining around with their flashlight, they didn't see anybody. And that is when I will excuse myself from the situation. Going home right then and there. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. That's my report. Nothing found. Pretty much, I think every paranormal team of some kind that wants to be even has uh, has done an investigation here. So I did watch my trio. I watched Ghost Asylum, Ghost Adventures, and Ghost Hunters. And they all got... Like, oh my God, y'all, you just have to watch the episode. Watch all three of them because I don't want to give it away and it was worth it. They um, TAPS, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, they investigated and they heard unexplainable noises, metal clanging, footsteps, whispers. All of them saw apparitions. Uh, Some of them were even shoved. They heard, they got intelligent responses to questions through whispers and later, through an EMF detector. So I'm just going to say, I trust TAPS, I think, more than I do Ghost Adventures. I'll prefer TAPS because I don't want Ghost Adventures to come in my house and anger a ghost and then leave. Maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's terrifying. Please don't get them. They get some crazy stuff, though. Like They do. They get the good ones, but also, like, please don't anger them and then leave me with them. But that is all for Sloth's Factories. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's such a good one. I really enjoyed uh, watching that one. I'm probably going to... You're welcome. ...do more hauntings because I like researching them because I literally just watch TV. Yeah, you're welcome. That's the easy part. I texted Amanda, what, a couple weeks ago and was like, please do Sloth's Furnaces. Thank you. That was my demand. Thank you. Good birthday present. Oh, that was so good. Oh my gosh, there was so much. So much. A murder. Bree's computer had to put its two cents in. Oh my word, fucking furnace. Oh my god, I'm still paused. Are you really? No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was gonna be like, well, that sucks. <laughs> We're not redoing it. Oh. And also, just because I know I can't edit this out, that beating noise that you hear is Amanda soothing her child. Oh, I didn't know that was picking that up. Yeah. She likes to be like talking, it picks it up. But when you're not talking, it doesn't. She loves yeah. it. I don't know what it is. So I don't It's not picking it up right now. But while you were talking, it was. So yeah. when you hear that, Amanda is soothing her child, mm-hmm. not beating her. I'm lightly so, patting. Um, just to soothe said child. So just before anyone comes at any of us that's what it is um anyways any anything else you guys want to say anything else uh into someone's birthday or something god i think it's my birthday isn't it mine like 
Yeah, no, it's my birthday. It's, it's definitely that not sound your right. right. No, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, sound right. It's mine. No, that no, 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 sounds no. right. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I think it's great. I'm fairly certain there's no steering stealing my glory this week. That's just rude. Wait, you're seriously telling me that you were born on 420? I sure I was. Realized that. I love that slow connection. Yes. Damn. Oh, but good. Your good parents. freaking new. I don't know why you're saying my parents. Your your <laughs> parents must have loved you. I think they still do. Is that yeah. how parents work? Do I have I don't to love her after she grows up? I even tried disowning my, my, my mother and she no. still won't let me. You you tried what? Disowning my mother. <gasps> I don't remember what she did, but she did something and I told her I disowned her. So she did something. Um, but as a side note, I just thought, oh, I'll pull up our downloads. And we finally got Arizona too. We're moving oh, on up in the world. <laughs> <laughs> what? I can't stand you. <laughs> The Arizona teas, oh. you know, the big cans, the only thing in history that like hasn't gotten more expensive. Okay, okay. I'm glad you said tea because when I heard it, I heard I love your P with a P as in no, R. no hard pass on that one. <laughs> we also have South Carolina listeners now. Well, hello there. Hello. Welcome to the party. We could have called you out in the beginning, but I didn't think about it. Sorry. It's okay. It's her birthday. I was too preoccupied by being the birthday girl. Anyways, so those are our updates uh, on our listeners. So thank you guys for listening to us and hearing us out when we're going on crazy tangents, even though I cut most of them out. So because <laughs> you have to, or this would be six or hours. Or it's going to be a seven-hour episode. Sorry. <laughs> was like a three-hour episode. Well, half of that, well, three, 30 minutes of that was fixing your computer, yeah. so. True, true, true. Well, anyways, thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Heels podcast or Twitter, Hell on Heels pod or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels podcast Linktree. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can um, so that we can create more content for you. You can donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials for patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or just words of encouragement, please email us at hellonhillspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to start listening with you guys or force them to listen with you guys. I'm forcing my husband to listen just because he's a jackass and doesn't do it on his own. But this has been Hell on Heels Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Bye.